great fun today for a, a service of confirmation. Um, but um, before we uh, move into the, the scriptures, just want to uh, point out something marvelous from music. There are two dimensions to worship music that are pretty important. One of them is uh, tremendous skill, so high mark, full marks on the tremendous skill. But also there is a, a condition of heart that allows the, um, the music to be a medium of ministry where it becomes about the Lord of the music more than about the musicians. And this morning, just across the board, every time you have been, uh, been playing this morning, uh, that has really come through beautifully. And that the electric sense that you're feeling is a combination of two things. One is uh, tremendous skill in what was being done, but also an openness to be used so that uh, the, um, uh, the presence of the Lord is really invoked. So really high marks on that, and thank you. Uh, it's, a, it's a tremendous blessing. Doesn't all, you don't always get that, but it's wonderful uh, to have that. So thank you. I uh, wanted to start with the uh, lesson to Ephesians today. Um, some um, people think that the Ephesian church was probably uh, Paul's favorite, and it was the one where he was able to um, be revelatory in the way that he uh, described things. Romans, of course, is the meat and potatoes where he's describing the aspects of the faith. A lot of it is um, entry path uh, into who God is, who Jesus is, how he worked in our life, who we are, and how we need to be rede redeemed. If, if anybody who's been trained and through the, um, uh, the Baptist world uh, or the Bible church may have come in contact with what's called the Roman Road, where you can share the gospel with people based on scriptures in the book of Romans. Ephesians is a little different. It's a little more heady, and it's a little more uh, visionary. It's calling people to uh, higher, high thinking and to experience and express the fullness of what church life in the kingdom uh, really means. Uh, actually, Paul gives a lifetime of information in the first chapter of Ephesians. I have a friend who's just retired from ministry. He was a pastor of a local church for 35 years. And pretty much, uh, he spent 35 years preaching on the book of Ephesians um, because there's just so, so much richness in it. Today, I want to key off this um, opening um, apostolic prayer. There are two parts to it. The first part that was... Uh, just before, if you have your Bibles there in that, uh, that section starting in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7, um, it's an apostolic prayer that Paul is praying that we would come to know and understand all the things we have in Christ. And so he says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, uh, the, he may know the mystery of his will, um, and how he's gathered us together. We've obtained an inheritance. And so he's just really blessing us with all of these things that we have being in Christ. And then he moves into uh, the prayer that you heard in the lesson today. So this is Paul praying for the Ephesian church. And while it was a specific point in time where a specific person, Saul of Tarsus, who later became Paul, was praying for a specific uh, church, the gathering of the Christians in 
uh, Ephesus, uh, it is a prayer that has application to all of us everywhere. That uh, these are things that God wants us to have and experience that Paul is praying for. So he starts here in 15 and said, I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love for the saints. I do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. And here's what his prayer is. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, and by the way, Paul uses the same shorthand that we do. When he says God, he usually means God the Father. He was well aware that Jesus was God the Son and that there's also God the Holy Spirit. But the the shorthand that he uses is typically God means Father. Uh, Jesus, of course, is God the Son, um, uh, Jesus Christ, Messiah and Lord. And then God the Holy Spirit, he just refers to usually as the Spirit or the Holy Spirit. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, who is the Father of glory, uh, he also uses a lot of positives to make sure that we uh, understand that. And while the Greek text doesn't have punctuation in it, um, there are a lot of parenthetical things that he puts in to make uh, sentences that would be, um, they would look like a NASA launch if you tried to diagram them. Um, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, uh, may give to you uh, the uh, spirit of wisdom and a revelation in the knowledge of him. So he's praying that we will have a revelation. And when, when Paul writes about revelation, he's talking about uh, the um, apocalyptic uh, revelation. He's talking about pulling back the curtain to be able to see things as they really are in the kingdom of God. Um, so he's, he's talking about, uh, could be referred to as the eyes of the kingdom or God's sight to be able to see things. But this word here is an unusual use of the word. Usually the word for knowledge is gnosis, uh, G-N-O-S-I-S, the G is silent, um, unless you, um, like I did, learn Greek in the south, and then it's gnosis, because you gotta, y'all got to put all them letters in there. Um, in the knowledge of him, but this, he does not use the word gnosis here. Um, he uses a root of the word gnosis, but he uses a different one. It's called epignosis. So epi, like epicenter of an earthquake, it's the place, the center upon which uh, the, the, thing, the action happened so that the, the earthquake spreads out. Um, so the epicenter is the, that, that place. So epignosis is, is not just information. It's not just facts and knowledge, but it's such fundamental revelation from which you can discern all of the other things that flow. John chapter 1, um, where uh, Jesus is described as the Word of God, uh, and in the 14th verse of that chapter, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, is epignosis. It's, it's such a profound truth if you only knew that one verse, all of the other things about the kingdom would eventually become evident as you held that plumb line up against all circumstances. If the word is God and he became flesh, that means God is intervening in the world 
and he's going to do something. Well, what is he going to encounter? Everything that he encounters would be impacted by the incarnation. So that means sin would be, death would be, suffering would be, uh, absence of spiritual life would be. And all of those things are being addressed by this principle of, of incarnation. So when Paul here says, epignosis, I want you to have a revelation so that you have this fundamental understanding of the person of Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God so it revolutionizes absolutely everything you are and everything you do. That's all that's in that one word. Um, and he's very explicit in using a different word here than just saying, I want you to know about Jesus. Got it? So now how do we get to that? Now let me just ask you, how many folks were here yesterday for the ordinations? Got a wave of hands? So a lot of folks. Uh, so let me just do a little uh, brief um, summary, I guess. Um, when the Bible talks about the heart, you shall love the Lord with your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Anytime the Bible is talking about the heart, it's actually talking about the right hemisphere of the brain. We didn't know this until the, about the 1980s when we could, using MRI machines, see what the right hemisphere of the brain was doing and what the left hemisphere did. They're different. They do different stuff. The right hemisphere of the brain is where relationships are conducted, how we relate with information uh, about relationships and how we relate with other people. Working through the layers of the brain, um, there are two processes that are going on. One is emotional, um, uh, maturity, but there's also uh, some spiritual uh, maturity that's supposed to go on at the same time. So to, in order to engage epigenosis, this kind of fundamental life-transforming knowledge, um, we cannot come into that truth and that understanding just on our own. It requires a community. Now we understand because all the things that God has said in the Bible, he knew, of course, before the MRI was invented. Um, but what, what he said was, you need to have relationships which are face to face. And the scientists studying people's minds watched their brains and watched facial expressions and eye contact to see how those things changed the way that their brains were working in their relationship. And what they found out was that the relationship released the power to have deeper understanding of information. If you just have information and there's not a relationship, that lives over in the left side of the, the brain. That's your library. It's where you make lists and make decisions and do your thinking function and stuff like that. But the left brain is not fundamentally relational. The right side of the brain, the right hemisphere, is actually a lot quicker. It's very zippy compared to the left, and it processes relationships. When you have the traction of relationship happening um, in the, the neurological stuff that's going on in the right side, then the information actually can feed into your life in a way that transforms both your life and other people's lives. So there's a third thing that then comes into play. There's 
the emotional maturity, spiritual maturity, and then this God sight. And so then we get God sight where Jesus is speaking this extremely famous thing from the Mountain of Beatitudes. Um, and he taught, where he taught there, um, they're pretty certain in Israel, up in the North Shore of Galilee, where the Mountain of Beatitudes is. There's a, a, a church that's been built there. But the, the area is a natural, bold-like amphitheater. So even without a PA system, a lot of people could, have heard, could hear somebody speaking there. Uh, and so what, when Jesus is talking about these Beatitudes, um, he's giving uh, God's sight to people. This is the way God sees the world. And it's different from the way we naturally see the world. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's backwards. We tend to think about blessed are those who have abundance in everything. They're the ones who've got it going. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Well, the world would say blessed are, we'll, we'll try and bless the mourning people and hope we can comfort them. But here's a promise that in God's kingdom, there's the promise that when we mourn, we'll be we'll comforted. Blessed are the meek. They're the ones that are going to inherit the earth. Well, it depends on what you mean by meekness. But in the Bible, meekness is described as strength held in reserve. A meek person is not a weak person. A meek person holds his strength in reserve. It's a great old gospel hymn about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And it says, he could have called 10,000 angels down to destroy the world and set him free. He could have called 10,000 angels down, but he bled and died for you and me. He had the strength to do it but he didn't exercise it. So just like you, if a butterfly were to come and land in your hand, you certainly have the strength to completely destroy a butterfly, but you wouldn't want to do that. So Jesus saw the preciousness of your life. The Bible says, for the joy set before him, he endured the shame of the cross. What's the joy set before him? You. He was thinking about you when he made the decision not to destroy the world, but to die and let your sin and my sin die with him. That's meekness. He had the vision to be able to see the world as it was supposed to be and it was going to be in redemption. And he held his strength in reserve. Sometimes using his strength and great power, but always for redemptive purpose. And so to us today, especially for the confirmands, we come to a place where Jesus, he has several places where he gives great commissions. Remember the, the one you hear a lot uh, about all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations teaching all that I've commanded you and baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's a great commission. Another place 
that's even more challenging than that is from John where he says this. As the Father sent me, I'm sending you. As the Father sent me, I'm sending you. As the Father sent me, I'm sending you. So, how was Jesus sent? He was sent in the power of the Holy Spirit to love with spectacular extravagance and to manifest extravagant power for the sake of the kingdom to demonstrate the love of God, never for personal aggrandizement. Ah, but you might say, well, he was God. Man, of course, but he was also God. So you can't expect me to do what he did. Yes, I can. Because in Philippians, Paul wrote this, have this mind in you, which was in Jesus Christ, who though he was in the form of God, did not count that equality with God something to be held on to, but instead he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant and becoming obedient, even obedient to the point of death upon the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him the name that is above every name, that everything upon the earth and under the earth would bow its knee to Jesus Christ as Lord. Have this mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. That means Jesus set aside all the prerogatives of divinity to live his life as a man submitted to the power of the Holy Spirit. In Hebrews it says, he was made exactly like we are in every respect except that he alone remained without sin in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest. So he had to know our struggles, he had to know our problems, he had to know our temptations, and endure them, although he did it sinlessly. So he knows what it means to be human, but he lived his life and did his work in the power of the Holy Spirit, the same Spirit that is being poured out in confirmation today. It's not only for those who are being confirmed. It can be poured out for anyone who wants to receive it. But we especially emphasize this because we don't want you to miss it. We want to make sure that you are clothed with power from on high so that you can make a difference in the world. How much difference? Well, how much difference did Jesus make? The same spirit. You're not getting a little pretend plastic figure of the Holy Spirit. You're getting the real person who's there. When you say, yes, Lord, work in me supernaturally and work through me supernaturally, he will do that. Just about, what, two days ago, I got a call from India. An old friend, he's in his late 80s now, quite frail and ill now, K.J. Samuel. He's a bishop in East Kerala on the western coast of India down near the point. A lot of Christians there. I used to go with KJ up into the mountains. And I would preach and he'd do the confirmations. 
and they, that they had this marvelous feast for us, served on a banana leaf with little piles of Indian spices on the, on the leaf, and so you're supposed to mix the spices with this incredible food. One time we drove in the car for about two hours to a mountain, and then at the bottom of the mountain, the paved road stopped, and they had an Indian version of a jeep. We climbed into the jeep and went up sort of a road until the road quit, and then we just went across the rocks and gravel and stuff until the jeep couldn't go anymore. Then we got out of the jeep and we walked up the hill for about another 40 minutes and breathlessly came out near the top of the mountain with this grassy field on the top of the mountain and in the middle of a brand new church that was being dedicated. Freshly built and painted and people who had come not only to bless the church but to be confirmed. And he said, preach on the gifts and the power. Um, so I did. And, uh, of course, they were translating there. And then when it came time for the confirmation, he called me over next to him. And KJ said, now everybody will pray for the Holy Spirit to come. And when we ask him to come, he always says yes. And then we watched as the Lord did these amazing and beautiful things on a mountaintop in Kerala in India. So KJ called the other day and said, I'm sorry I haven't been in touch for three years. My wife and I haven't been well. But I got feeling better and I thought, I have to call my friend. So he called just to say hello. So, hey, remember KJ when we go to the mountains? Well, I'm going up to Tennessee. And the Holy Spirit always says yes when we ask him to come. So we will pray together for the Holy Spirit to be released in the lives of the confirmands, but also if you're smart. You'll ask him to release his power and presence in your life, too. There's plenty to go around. Now to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, be ascribed all might, majesty, dominion, and power, as is most justly due, now and forever. Amen.